God is a gardener. I hope this is not shocking to anyone. If you've been reading the scriptures, you know that this is not a stretch of the imagination, I hope, to suggest that God is indeed a gardener. What is the basis of this claim? Well, it's simple. We read in the first few chapters of Genesis that poetically outline and describe for us the creation of the world that God planted a garden in Eden. Well, you don't plant things unless you're a gardener. You may not be a great gardener, you may have a brown thumb, but God is indeed a gardener. And what God plants is good. We know this. God has planted all things, and he has given all things in the goodness of his creation, the goodness of his garden, to us, to receive, to partake, to feast. With that one exception, of course, that he gave to Adam and Eve, you can have everything except the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The God is a gardener. And indeed, all of creation is God's garden. God is a gardener. We see, quite ironically, Mary Magdalene on Easter Sunday arriving at the tomb of Jesus. And who does she meet? The gardener. Well, of course Jesus is the gardener. He is that same word that was there at the creation of all things. The same word spoken by the Father through whom all things came into being. So of course, Jesus is hanging out in the garden, and of course, Mary is right to identify him as the gardener. God is a gardener. We talk about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Peace, patience, joy, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I think I got most of them. I know I did it last week, and I kind of botched it a little bit, but... The fruit of the Holy Spirit implies that the Holy Spirit is a gardener. The Holy Spirit is, in the inter is interested in planting trees that bear forth fruit. Plants that will yield a harvest of abundance. Because God is a gardener. And I think there's part of our human psyche, you could say, that responds to gardening. I myself am not a gardener, but I can appreciate the work of gardens, be they flower gardens, be they vegetable gardens. There's something about gardens I think that we all respond to, and that's because we are beings created in the image of God. And if God is a gardener, then we bear that image of that great gardener within us as well. Again, we may be brown thumbs, we may have no success at growing, but there's still something to be said for the beauty of a garden well cared for and well tended that speaks to our souls, that raises our hearts and our minds to the sheer goodness and the beauty of what we see before us. And so on this, the fifth Sunday after Easter, the church designates this as Rogation Sunday. And as I explained outside, Rogation comes from the Latin word rogare, which means to ask. Rogation Sunday is the Sunday in which we ask God to bless our gardening efforts. Our gardens at our homes, which may be flowers or vegetables, the gardens of the fields that the farmers will be planting. Because we know that gardening is our livelihood. 
Maybe not in terms of how we make our living, but without gardens, we can't eat. Even the meatitarians among us, you have to grow food for your food to eat. So Rogation Sunday, we all have a responsibility to ask for and to pray for God to bless our efforts in the garden. That we may have a good yield, that we may be able to eat, and that we would have an abundant harvest so that we can share it with others. And this is why we meet at the Love Grows Garden. Because we hope that that garden outside in our church grounds and the gardens of flowers around it will be a sign of God's goodness to all people, a sign of his love and care and compassion for all people. So Rogation Sunday is the Sunday which we specifically focus on the care of creation. Now, I'm not going to get up here and give any sort of diatribe about the politics of environmentalism, because that's not the place for the pulpit. But I will say this. Creation care is not a partisan issue. Politicians love to make these things divisive wedges because that's how you get votes. You get people worked up and you divide them into different things. But creation care is not a partisan issue. Maybe the policies we can argue about, about the best way to achieve those ends. But creation care is a Christian responsibility. Because we are creatures made in the image of God, who is a gardener, the God who planted all that is as the garden. And so our responsibility is the same responsibility of Adam and Eve, our human forebears, which is to care for the garden, to care for creation. And that care for creation begins, yes, with our own physical gardens, but it also begins with the garden, with the soil of my soul, the soil of your souls, because we are called to tend the garden. The author of the children's book, The Secret Garden, how many are familiar with that book? A very whimsical but great book. Um, she once said, when seen from the right perspective, the whole world is a garden. And she's right. She's not making a theological statement, but there's a lot of theological truth to that. As I said, if God is a gardener, then everything that God has created is part of his garden. But that means that we, as part of that garden, have to tend ourselves, our souls as well. Because it is in our souls in which the heavenly gardener wants to do his greatest work. The work of tilling, of planting, and of bearing forth an abundant harvest of God's own love, of those fruits of the Spirit. But we live in an age that is completely indifferent to the soil of the soul. We live in a secular age. I mean, this should not be a spoiler to anyone. And the reason I bring this up is because you may have noticed in the reading that Corrine did that James talks about religion. But we live in a post-religious age, don't we? People are not interested in religion. Keep it to yourself. Keep it at home. Don't bring it in public. Just keep it where I don't have to see it, hear it, or participate in it in any way. But if God is a gardener and everything that God has created is part of that great garden, then we cannot help but religion be public by its very nature. 
Because you and I are public people. We are built to be in, uh, to be in community with each other. We share that same soil in which we are planted here at St. James Paris. But the language of religion that St. James uses in his epistle is not language that people like to hear today. Because the word religion conjures in their mind these images of rules and regulations and thou shalt and shall shalt nots. But to their own detriment, to the detriment of the soil of their soul, they ignore. They push away, they resist. But James cuts to the quick. He says, you can't be just a hearer of the word. You have to be a doer. There's something practical about it. You can't just talk about planting a garden. You can't just talk about how great a gardener you are. You have to show it by getting your hands dirty in the dirt, by digging, getting on your hands and knees and turning over that soil and pulling those blasted weeds, watering and doing these things over and over and over and over again. To be a gardener, you have to be someone with extreme patience and diligence and attentiveness. And in an age where everything is about infotainment and about the next best thing, gardens go against the flow of our very cultural, of our, of our culture. But James says, you can't just be spiritual and not religious. You can't just pay lip service to an idea. You actually have to get your hands dirty. You got to get that dirt underneath your fingernails. You got to get out the knee pads because you're going to be doing a lot of work on your knees to till the soil of your soul. I think part of the reason why our, our culture doesn't like the, nation, nation, or the notion of religion is because religion always involves cost. You have to pay, maybe not physically, but time is money, and now you have spent some of your time being here in the presence of God and his people in this place. It takes time and effort to plant a garden. You have to plant it. You have to buy the seeds. You have to buy the equipment. You have to do everything you need to ensure that your garden is not only just exists in theory, but in practice. You have to sacrifice and do the work. But again, in our culture, the notion of sacrifice is something that is completely, that turns people off. Sacrifice, that means I actually have to do something. But what's the benefit to me? Sacrifice means I have to give something up. I, I don't want to give things up. It's all about me and what I can achieve and attain. But think about what we have to do when we garden. We have to sacrifice a piece of land that we say is dedicated for this purpose of growth. We have to sacrifice the ground itself by putting in our shovels and our spades, cutting the ground, turning it over, getting those rocks out, churning the dirt. That takes time, it takes effort, it takes sacrifice. I was reminded to this um, uh, in a discussion we had earlier this week that we look at the flowers at the altar. They look lovely. They would have been planted in a garden or a greenhouse. They would have grown, take a lot of effort. But then someone has to come along and cut them. And cutting is always a sign of sacrifice. Because you can only have cut flowers at the altar. We have the potted green plants just to add a little bit, but you'll notice that every Sunday when there are flowers at the altar, 
We always announce that they are given to the glory of God in loving memory of the, recent, or the faithful departed. It's a form of sacrifice, those cut flowers. The way we cut things when we harvest them, the plant has to sacrifice its fruit so that those who cut and harvest can receive the bounty. So you can probably see where I'm going with all of this in terms of the soil of our souls. We have to allow that great gardener who makes all things good to come into the soul, to the soil of our soul, and to turn it up. It's not a comfortable process. To pull those weeds out, to uproot them, so they cannot get purchase and choke out that other growth. To allow him to water and to nurture and to care. But if we do not allow the gardener who is God to do this, then our lives will not yield that abundant harvest that God wants and expects from us. We have to sacrifice our very selves. But in so doing, we receive back more than we can ask or imagine. Because everything in our world, we can see through that lens as a garden. Even the Eucharist itself, which we are about to participate in, we offer the bread and the wine as symbols of the whole of creation. We've taken grapes, we've taken wheat, gifts of God, and we've made them into something by grinding the wheat into flour, by pressing the grapes into wine. It involves sacrifice of time. It involves the sacrifice of the harvest. But those elements that we have taken from the gifts of God and made into something else, we offer up to God and we get more than we can ask or imagine in return. So too it is with the sacrifice of our own lives, allowing the gardener to do his work on us. In our gospel reading, Jesus said, Ask and ye shall receive. I have to remind my kids that this does not mean that if you pray hard enough for an Xbox, you'll get one. What Jesus is getting at here, you ask for the right things, you will not be disappointed. You ask, God, please come till the soil of my soul. Weed my heart and my mind from those habits that and those thoughts that are so destructive. Help me to curb my tongue, my appetite. Help me to focus on you, and you will always receive what you ask for then, says Jesus. So let our prayer, my friends, be this. To that great gardener who has made all things good, that he would come and till and weed, plant, care for, tend, and harvest the fruit that our hearts and minds will bear. Thanks be to God.